Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'd like to share with you a few reflections on one of my favorite Advent readings, and that is Matthew's version of Jesus's family tree. What I hope you will take away from this reflection is the spiritual truth that God writes straight with crooked lines. Matthew begins his story of the life of Jesus in a very interesting, peculiar way. I'd like to read it for you, so please bear with me. He begins an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Now I think if you or I were asked to explain to someone who Jesus is, we probably wouldn't begin with Abraham begetting Isaac. But this is what Matthew does. He starts off with this list of ancestors. And we notice that this list has the names of the great patriarchs of Israel, the kings of, his, of Judah, the kings of Judah, and then a series of names of people we don't know anything about. As we reflect on the stories of some of these characters that Matthew includes, we see that God has made some unlikely choices. God chooses people that we probably would not choose to play such an essential role in God's work in the world. Consider the patriarchs who populate the first set of ancestors. Matthew mentions Isaac, but not Ishmael, even though Ishmael was the firstborn and was actually later abandoned by his father, Abraham. Remember that Abraham got his housemaid, Hagar, pregnant and then banished Hagar and Ishmael to the wilderness. Matthew also lists Jacob over Esau. Esau was the older brother, and he might have been a bit of a clod, but he wasn't a liar and a thief as Jacob was. Remember that Jacob was the one who conspired with his mother, Rebekah, to deceive Isaac into giving Jacob his brother's birthright. Judah is also an ancestor of Jesus, even though Joseph, the brother of Judah, whom Judah sold for silver, was the best of the brothers. And we have to say that these people really constitute a rogues gallery. 
people you would not want to share a long car ride with, we might say. Yet we see how God works with them in their bad choices, though they are unsavory characters and they have glaring limitations. In Matthew's genealogy, he also includes four women, but not among them are what we might call the saintly patriarchal wives. They would be Sarah, Rebecca, or Rachel. Matthew does mention Tamar, a Canaanite woman who actually seduced her father-in-law Judah so that she could raise up a son for her husband who had died, and thus allowing the patriarchal line to continue. Rahab was another outsider. She was a Canaanite, and she's also included in the list. She was a prostitute who protected the Israelite spies as they prepared to conquer Jericho. Ruth, a Moabite, another outsider, was faithful to God's law when she raised up a son for her dead husband by his relative Boaz, and that child became the grandfather of King David. And then we have Bathsheba. This was the woman that David seduced and then arranged to have her husband killed. The story of each of these women has an air of scandal about it, and yet through that scandal, God is at work. God is able to make something out of what human beings would see as shameful. And of course, this relates to Mary. By appearance, there was something scandalous about her pregnancy, yet God was doing something glorious and miraculous through her. The second set of names lists a number of kings, beginning with David and ending with Jeconiah. On the one hand, Matthew connects Jesus with royalty, and most importantly, the great monarch David. But as we consider these kings, we find that most of them were actually disasters. Only two were faithful to God, that would be Hezekiah and Josiah. But the rest were a collection of idolaters, murderers, incompetence, power seekers, and harem wastrels. For example, Ahaz actually sacrificed his son, the heir to the throne, to an Assyrian god. Joram murdered all his brothers, and Manasseh was an idol worshiper, as was Rehoboam. David himself was a mixed character. While he brought ancient Israel into a glorious period, and he's credited with the authorship of many of the Psalms, he was very much a Don Corleone figure. He was like a, a mafioso. He arranged to have opponents killed, and he actually negotiated a codicil to the covenant God had with Israel so that his throne would reign over the people forever. We also notice that through the rise of the patriarchs, the people of Israel are growing, they're expanding, and they come into the land. Then through the period of the kings, their empire reaches its pinnacle and then begins to fall apart, reaching a low point in the deportation to Babylon. That's a point where everything has been lost, the temple, the land, and the king. Yet God was still working in these events and through these imperfect people. According to Matthew, the story continues despite this apparent failure and dead end. The last set of names Matthew includes are unknown to us. Aside from Mary and Joseph at the end, and Shealtiel and Zerubbabel at the beginning, those were the two who led the people back from Babylon and rebuilt Jerusalem and the ancient temple. We don't know anything about this last set of names. So just as God was able to bring salvation and grace through a mixed bag of the patriarchs and through a group of bumbling and hapless kings, God continues that work through people whose stories remain a mystery to us, people whom history thought were thoroughly unremarkable and forgettable, but yet God was doing something special through them. Matthew's magnificent beginning to his gospel reminds me 
of what God said to the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God works in unexpected ways, through people who are unlikely choices, through events that to us seem like disaster and scandal. In the end, Matthew can teach us that God's grace is all-powerful, that the story of Jesus does not have an idealized, sanitized beginning, and that when we find adversity or scandal in the church, in the world, in ourselves, we can take heart, trusting that some way, somehow, God can work through us, even our deepest flaws, to bring about something wonderful. And with that, let's go into a few moments of quiet meditation. 